Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about faith. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to let you know about what's happening at our church this summer. Due to COVID-19 and everything surrounding it, our services have moved outside. God has blessed our church with an incredible seven acres in North Wilsonville, and someday we'll have a building there. But in the meantime, it's a perfect solution for us to have church during all that's going on in our world. We would love to have you join us. And so if you want the information about what our services look like this summer, you can go to wilsonville.church slash property gathering. That's wilsonville.church slash property gathering. We would love for you to join us for one of these outdoor services. They're going to be fun. They're going to be different. It's going to be an exciting summer. And so we hope that you'll consider joining us. We'd love to meet you in person. Again, thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon. I really do hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Um, we have been going down to a park in a different county because our, our parks are not open here. I don't know if that's allowed, but we've been doing it. And it's, um, we've discovered this park that we really like. I'm not going to tell you where it is because I don't want a lot of people there. Uh, but it has a rock wall. And the other day, Hudson, my son, I'm going to talk about both of my children in this sermon. Hudson, my son, the other day, he wanted to reach what he was calling a button. I think he was being a superhero or a dragon or something. And he, he wanted to get to this button, but Hudson does not like heights at all. He doesn't just doesn't like heights and it's interesting it's a weird it's a weird thing for him because he's 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 a he's a wild guy uh Hudson is and he he doesn't seem to fear anything uh one time we heard a thud well this is more than one time I'm going to tell you two quick stories uh one time we heard a thud and and we look out at the kitchen Brent and I were both in the kitchen and we look out and Hazel my daughter is rolling Hudson off of the couch and he's just laying there and slamming into the ground. <laughs> and like, hey, so you can't do that even if he tells you to, even if he likes it. Uh, not long ago, we heard a, a bigger thud, uh, like a loud thud. And and we we see, uh, Bryn is the one who found this out. He, he verified it for me later. We see that Hudson has jumped from our stairs down into this little ledge uh, that, that is at the bottom of our stairs, and then there's a window right after it, a wall and a window. And he's jumped down there. So Bryn says, hey, what step did you jump from? I'm not kidding, guys. It was halfway up the staircase, which is like eight steps. He had jumped down eight steps and landed. I couldn't believe that he was. I mean, I couldn't have done it, uh, but he did it, and he was loving it. So he's kind of wild. But, like, if he realizes he's high up, which he doesn't do on our stairs because he lives with them, then he does not like it. And so he's trying to reach this this button in order to, I don't know, kill the dragons or whatever he's doing. And and I say, hey, I'll help you crawl up there. And so he kind of puts one arm up, and, and he just is like, no, 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 I'm not doing it. Push the button for me. That's what he starts telling me. And I realized that, that his fear outweighed his faith in me. His fear outweighed his faith in me. This is going to be the big idea today. He, he, he looked at that button. He wanted to touch it. He wanted to go higher. He thought it was cool, a big deal to touch the button to save the world or whatever he was trying to do. But something inside of him, fear, outweighed his trust in his dad to help him get up that high and push the button. I think that all of us are dealing with with some level of fear right now, right? And 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 I think I said this in this sermon series already, but but I 
I worry a lot. If you're part of our church, then you know I worry a lot. But, but I, don't, I don't think I would call myself scared very often. I don't fear things. I, it's just kind of a you know, general worry. But, but I'm not scared very often. And, and there was a, a two or three week period sometime in the middle of this pandemic that we are going through where where I would say that I was scared. I was scared about getting sick. I was scared about my wife getting sick. And I was really scared about my kids getting sick. I mean, we'd go outside and, uh, and I would just be like, just yelling at my kids. Don't look at those people. You know, walk away. Don't talk to anybody. Like I went into this jerk mode because, because I, I feared. And, and I think uh, me being a person who doesn't, you know, fear frequently that th- this is just my guess and kind of what I observe as I look at the internet right now that a lot of people that I know and love, a lot of you are, are, are desperately afraid of what's going on around you. And here's the, the difficult thing. The, the difficult issue is that fear and faith just don't go together. Uh, when we live in fear, we cannot live in faith. When we live in fear, we cannot live in faith. Now, before I, I continue down that line, let me just remind you of the definition that we're working with for faith in this series. It comes from Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And it seems impossible to live a life that is driven by confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see when we are also living in fear. We're doing a series, and in this series we're talking about what it looks like to live a life of faith. And this morning the big idea is is simply this, that we're not going to live lives of faith when we're living lives of fear. It just can't happen. And here's, here's really again the big idea. We can live in faith, not fear, when we believe that Jesus will that's what our story teaches us today. Before we look at our story, which is actually two stories that are, are put together, I just want to point out that the stories are put together. Uh, there are these three Gospels, these three books in the Bible called the Synoptic Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they tell the story of Jesus' life in similar ways, but oftentimes they separate stories, they put them in different orders in order to fit their themes. But in all three of those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, these two stories that we'll look at today, they go together, they put them together. And I think there's two reasons for that. One, chronologically they went together, and so it only makes sense to tell them together. But I think the other reason is because they teach the same point. They teach the same idea, and it's a really big, important idea in the Gospels. And that is this, that Jesus heals, he heals all that come to him. Jesus heals all people who come to him eventually. Here's how the stories start, Luke 8, 40 and 42, through 42. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. For they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. A synagogue in this uh, first century world was kind of like we think of a local church today, except they had more influence because they were not only like a religious hub but they were a social hub and in a lot of ways the the synagogue it had 
a lot of power over, over your religious life and your social life, but even your economic life to some degree. And, and Jairus, the guy that we meet in this story, is the synagogue leader. He's the president of this synagogue. But what is happening to him is more important. His daughter is dying. His daughter's dying. Now this moment is, is uh, the more I thought about it, it's, it's kind of a fascinating, strange moment. Because there's this expectant crowd who's has really been waiting for Jesus to come back from Gentile territory, non-Jewish territory. And these Jewish people are waiting for Jesus because they know what he's doing. He's healing people. He's, he's doing miracles. He's doing all this cool stuff. And so the crowd is expecti- expectantly waiting for Jesus' return. And upon his revival, they're all there. And now we have this, this, this very sad moment that just is so in contrast to the excitement of the crowd where the synagogue's leader as the synagogue leader comes to Jesus and he falls at his feet weeping because his 12-year-old daughter is dying there's a major contrast there this story is not super hard for me to connect with emotionally because i have a daughter i have an only daughter and just if we could just um, just put ourselves in this guy's situation whether you have a daughter or not he's living through the most heartbreaking scary thing that he can possibly face i fear nothing more than my children dying i am in a lot of ways a a very non-paranoid parent i i I don't worry about my kids skinning their knees or breaking their arms or uh, any of those types of things those things don't worry me but the I, i am incredibly paranoid when it comes to keeping my kids alive. I, I find ways that no human has ever died, and then I think, well, they could die that way, and then I try to make sure that they don't die in that way, even though statistically, you know, zero out of seven billion people have ever died in this way. I think, well, my kid's not going to be the first, so we need to, you know, uh, do something differently in order to prevent them from dying. I'm paranoid in this way, and it's because, because I, I just fear the pain and the agony of 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 living through the death of, of my son or my daughter. There's nothing scarier to me. And that's exactly what this man is facing in this story. And as I thought about that, me and if I was living through that and if I met somebody living through that, uh, you know, just today, even today we're, we're uh, you know, we're kind of forced to think about death ever before. As Americans, we don't like to think about death. We like to think, you know, kind of like we're going to live forever. But, you know, we face death counts now almost daily if you just go to any news source like there's death in front of us all the time and I would just I would just wonder what would you tell this guy if you met him today what would you tell him as his daughter's you know on the verge of death and I would hope that whatever you told him would be centered around the fact that Jesus saves Jesus heals and then the story continues in verses 43 through 48 and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that the power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now, Jairus' daughter being on the verge of death is not 
a sad enough way to start a story. Now Luke introduces this other character who really magnifies just how uh, just kind of the sadness and the fear that you would live through if you were putting yourself in the shoes of these people. He introduces this woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. Now, to be clear, and uh, I don't want to be too clear, but to be a little bit clear, uh, this is a feminine type of bleeding. Now, just just think about this for a second. And even in, in any culture, in our culture today, where, where I think, uh, you know, we've come a long ways, we've progressed in our culture today, or... Uh, in any culture, this would be a really bad thing to face, right? But in this woman's culture, it's a far worse thing to face because uh, not only is she dealing with a, a very difficult and scary medical issue, she's also become a social outcast. For her to be bleeding like this for 12 years, she would have been ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. And because of that, she was a social outcast. If she was married, she could not be with her husband. There could be no physical contact with her husband. If she had children, she could not interact with them. She couldn't hug her children or kiss her children or anything like that. She could not cook for her family or clean for her family, which in her society was uh, what women did. They, they took care of the children and the home, and she couldn't have done that. And so she would have felt purposeless, like her life didn't matter anymore. And here's the thing, as I've, as I've preached on her before, it's always struck me. To live like this, I, I, I can put myself in her shoes in this way. If she sat on a chair, then that chair was no longer usable for anybody else. Just consider living a life like that where you couldn't touch something, you couldn't be on something without nobody else ever being able to use it. Again, that is a horrible way to live your life and that's what she's been dealing with for 12 years. In some translations of the Bible, it tells us that no one could heal her and she had spent all of her money trying to get healed. Nobody could heal her and yet she had spent all of her money trying to get healed. And again, as this woman lives her life feeling purposeless, uh, feeling, you know, all the time probably scared that she's going to be scorned and rejected by the people around her. I mean, I just I would ask this question again. Like, what would you tell this lady? Because there is no hope for her. Just like it seems like there's no hope for Jairus and his daughter, there's no hope. But I do think there's hope and I think it's in Jesus. And I think the answer to these fears that these people are facing is to point them to Jesus. And I believe, as we'll see in just a second, that the answer, the answer for us when we deal with fear that causes us to not live a life of faith is to place our hope in Jesus and the fact that he will fix us eventually. Listen uh, to what Jesus says, because I, I recently preached on this not that long ago. It's been a year and a year and a half. And, and I, I talked about all the details of this woman coming to Jesus. So I don't want to do it again. Instead, I want to focus on what we're focusing on in this series. And that is the words of Jesus about faith in the midst of these stories about faith. What he says here is incredible. First, he says, or this is what he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. He starts with daughter. It's pretty easy to see the connection. Why, why this is the word he uses, daughter. Jesus doesn't run around calling people daughter, but, but it's easy to see why. Here we already have a picture of a father's love for his daughter. Jairus has come in the middle of a crowd and he has been willingly shamed by begging at the feet of Jesus because he cares so desperately for his daughter to be healed. He is so desperate that he just, 
he dishonors himself and weeps in front of a crowd of excited people at the feet of Jesus, begging him to heal her. And so when Jesus says the word daughter to this woman, that he is just healed of this incredibly difficult problem, we can't help but go, Jesus sees that woman like Jairus sees his little girl. I don't think that we can live without fear. I don't think that we can overcome our fear and live a life of faith unless we truly believe that, that coming into relationship with Jesus through faith causes him to see us like his child. Jesus doesn't run around calling people son and daughter all the time, but in the New Testament, we see this incredible truth that when we become Christians, when we place our faith in Jesus like this woman did, then he, he brings us into his family through adoption. And from then on, God looks down at us as his son and his daughters, his sons and his daughters. I think we, we sometimes don't understand how God looks at us. We think that God looks at us as, as you know, slaves or servants or something that isn't like a child. But we need to know that Jesus looks at us like Jairus looked at his little girl. He looks at us as his sons and his daughters. I can connect with this. From the moment my daughter was placed into my arms, I have loved her like I have loved nobody else except for Hudson. Uh, there is this incredible bond between me and my little girl. I, I say this sometimes, but like, you know, everybody else can make me mad, but it's almost impossible for my children to really, really make me mad. Even when I sound mad, I walk into the other room and I, I smile at Bryn like, wow, I really made it sound like I was ticked off there, didn't I? Because I just desperately love my children. And this this is how God looks at you if you've placed your faith in Jesus for the salvation of your sins. And if God looks at you like that, then you can trust that eventually he will fix everything. This other thing he says is important. Your, your faith is healed. You will come back to that. But then, but then he says, go in peace. This word connects to shalom. Maybe you've heard that Hebrew word. Shalom is a word that, that uh, denotes a state of untroubled or undisturbed well-being in Hebrew. Undisturbed or untroubled well-being. Who really, really needs peace right now? I mean, I think that we've been living with, you know, every other emotion besides peace for the last five months. And here Jesus does this incredible thing. He connects his ability to heal, his ability to fix with the peace of this woman. I think that illustration is the only way for me to describe how this connection happens. Uh, I, I've used this illustration in other ways before, so forgive me, but I was very close to my great-grandmother, and uh, right after college, I, I moved into my grandma's house for a little while, and I lived there with my grandma and my grandpa and my uncle and my great-grandma. Uh, thankfully, has a lot of bedrooms. And, and so I lived in this house with them, and my great-grandma at the time was, I think, 92 years old, and, and was really in, she was in her last year of life. She died at 93 years old, and... and uh, it was not a fun time to be living there because this is going to sound unrealistic, but it's true. My great-grandma was having a heart attack three or four nights a week. She would have a heart attack. And um, I only smile a little bit because this is what I'm going to tell you next is almost comical. Uh, she, she had a bell. It was like the heart attack bell. And so she would just, in the middle of the night, like three or four nights a week, she'd just ring her bell because she was having a heart attack. And we'd come into the room and we'd give her the, the medicine that you put under your tongue and it 
stops a heart attack and uh, I would kneel beside her and I would say my final words and then offer her f- her final prayer uh, and then and then she would get better and we'd do it again the next night. That's just kind of how it went for a while. It was very heavy for the family as you can imagine. But what is so staggering looking back on those moments for me is the incredible peace that she always had while having a heart attack. The rest of us kind of panicking, crying, sad, you know, this is it with our loved one. But my great-grandma, absolute peace every time, able to make us laugh, in fact, in the middle of her heart attacks. And, and I know why she was able to have such peace, because my great-grandma looked forward to the fixing and the healing that Jesus would bring after this life more than any other person that I've ever been around. Uh, I don't know why that was. thought about that this week when I was... Uh, preparing this sermon, I, I think maybe part of it was that, that her husband died at a, a pretty young age. Um, he was 50-something. So I think that was part of it, just the idea of seeing her, her husband again. I think that it's that she lived through a lot of things, you know, like the depression and a world war and uh, cancer and heart attacks every night and all of those things. And so she just was maybe more ready to go to the place where it's all going to be fixed. But because of that, whatever the reason was, she had absolute peace because she knew the healing that Jesus would eventually bring. And I saw it every single night. Here's the deal. We can live in faith, not fear, when we believe that Jesus will fix. She didn't fear. She lived in faith because she knew that Jesus would fix. Listen, the story continues on. We need to find out what happened to Jairus' daughter. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, listen, listen to this, you listen to this. He didn't say that. I'm saying listen to this. Don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead but asleep. They laughed at him knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but they ordered, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. So good news, the girl lives. Again, she dies and then she lives. I, I love that. I think that's uh, an important part of the story. My daughter, who I've mentioned a couple times, this is one of her favorite stories from the gospel, from the New Testament, uh, because she watches it on the Bible app for kids, which parents, if you're not using that for your kids, it's an incredible app. It's a lot better than sticking them in front of Minecraft videos or whatever. Uh, but uh, the Bible app for kids is a wonderful tool. It connects to the curriculum we use at church. But the little girl, after she is brought back to life, does backflips. And so I think that's why Hazel likes it so much. But it's a good ending. But again, I want to focus on what Jesus says. Don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. Notice that he pits against each other faith and fear. He puts them up against each other. He's basically calling Jairus to make a choice. Are you going to live in faith or are you going to live in fear? They can't go together. Which one are you going to choose? And he says, don't live in fear. Just believe. Believe is just the verbal form of the word faith. One's pistis and one's pistuo. Uh, One's a verb and one's a noun. And and, and so Jesus is calling him here to live out faith, to live in faith, to be persuaded, to to rely upon, to trust. He says, don't trust or don't fear, trust. Uh, Don't fear, believe. Don't fear, have faith. That's what Jesus is saying to this 
man, and I think he would save it, say it to all of us, don't fear, just have faith because I am the one who heals. I am the one who can fix. Uh, I want to um, pose a question, and I'm gonna. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to give off wrong impressions, so I'm gonna. I might talk a little slower and try to word this right here. But, but, but I thought about this week, like, you know, how many of us would would not do right now what God wanted us to do because we were scared to do it, and. Uh, you know, the litmus test, you know, when I was growing up and kind of serious about my faith, I, I always was like, if God, I don't know why, this is so dumb, but um, if God called me to Africa, would I go? That was always like my big, like, like, am I really living in faith versus fear? Like, would I go to Africa if, if God called me to go to Africa? Wow, we're dealing with the elements out here today. Um, and, and so th- I just thought of this, and, and I just want to make clear that I don't, I don't, think God's doing this and I, I want to make clear that I, I think that all of us can get COVID-19 and the coronavirus and I'm not a person who thinks that it's fake um, or anything like that but but I just this question came into my mind and so uh, don't take it the wrong way just just consider it don't necessarily do it if God said right now to you go into the midst of a crowd take off your mask and start telling them all about the good news of my death and resurrection would you do it If God said, take off your mask, go into a crowd and preach about me, then would you say yes or no? And I think for me, that question really, really begins to, you know, bring to my mind, is my faith stronger or my fear stronger? Because if there's anything that we would say no to Jesus about because we're too scared to do it, then we know that perhaps we've forgotten that ultimately Jesus will fix and heal things and we're at least a little bit, living in fear and not faith. Can I say one more time now that I've got that illustration out there that that I don't think that, you know, at least most of you should do that. Uh, I'm not voting for that for most of you. Uh, I'm just posing it to say, I I think we can kind of tell if we're living in fear or faith based on that question. So Jesus then says, be healed. And, and this can be translated, be well or made whole. And it's interesting here because Jesus, when he says be healed, he actually uses the word that most of the time in the New Testament is translated saved. And it's used in connection to the salvation that Jesus brings through dying on a cross and coming back to life. I don't think Jesus is saying this little girl is going to come into salvation in this moment, but I do believe the word reminds us of how important salvation is in the New Testament. Faith is what leads to salvation. Let me explain salvation to you. We believe in this thing called the gospel story, and the gospel is this, that Jesus saw us in heaven. He was in heaven, and he looked down, and he saw us. And he saw that we were sinners, that we did things that were contrary to the will of God, the the commands of God, God's desire for our lives. We have sinned against God, and in fact, we had become enemies of God. And instead of sitting up in heaven in the glories of heaven, Jesus came from heaven to earth. He lived a sinless, perfect life, never doing anything wrong. And at the end of that sinless life, he died on a cross. And, And then he came back from the dead, and he did all of that. He did all of that in order that we might be forgiven for our sins and this is, I think this is what we forget, in order that all things would eventually be fixed for us. All things would eventually be fixed for us. And when we, we cling tightly to this idea 
that we are saved by faith if we are saved by faith, then it allows us to not live in fear. Let me just be so clear about something. I think it's really important. Two things that are really important before I get to what I think is the the key to this whole sermon. First, Jesus doesn't heal in these ways as frequently now as he did when he walked the earth. I think a lot of people want to kind of gloss over that. Nor do we see these types of healings as frequently as we did in the early church. And that is okay. Those were special times and God had a unique purpose in the life of Jesus and in the early church. We do see people healed, but we don't see it as frequently. But the point of the story is not to say Jesus sometimes chooses to heal our physical bodies. The point of the story is to say that Jesus is the great physician who heals and fixes all even if he doesn't do it in this life. The other really important thing is to point out that um, Jairus is going to be the downer of the day. Jairus, the bleeding woman, and the little girl are now dead. They, I mean, I don't know if you knew that, but they're dead. Like, they no longer live on earth anymore. And so even though Jesus heals temporarily here, it's not like he heals them forever. They no longer live on earth and I bring that up to say if the point of this story was, was that Jesus does earthly miracles and, and you know we should be praying for that, which we can, if that was the whole point of the story, then it's really not a great point because they're now dead. Uh, there, there was things in their life that led to their bodies deteriorating and giving up and now they're gone. They no longer live. The point of this story is to say that we should place our faith in Jesus because he is the one who brings ultimate healing. And here's, here's the real key. Everybody look up here and pay attention because this is the most important thing. We don't fully understand how that all works out while Jesus lives. But we sure find out later because in Revelation 21, 3 through 4, we read a passage of scripture that I think every one of us would do well to memorize, to focus on, to think about every day while we face the things that we are currently facing. Listen to these words as John, the writer of this book, gets a picture into eternity. Here's what we read. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the part you have to listen to. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. John says someday we won't deal with all the things that we fear because Jesus will fix it all. I don't think there's a way to live in faith unless you remove fear from your life by trying to focus on the fact that this life ain't it. Someday we will live in a place where there's no more sorrow or pain or mourning or death. We won't have anything to fear anymore. So we don't have to fear anything now. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 19. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. This is the part I love. Because I think we forget this. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all most to be pitied. As Christians, we face lots of bad things. We're facing lots of bad things right now. And if our hope is just in like, hey, God might do a miracle, then it's not a very good hope. And we're going to walk around scared of everything that everybody else is scared about. But if our confidence 
and our assurance is in the fact that, that Jesus will take us safely into a place where there will be no more pain, sorrow, mourning, or suffering. If our confidence and our assurance is in that, then our faith will go up and our fear will go down. We'll be able to push the button on the rock wall. We'll climb higher and higher in our efforts to serve Jesus. It only comes from remembering that Jesus will fix all eventually. We're going to sing this song in a second that we usually just sing on Easter. And uh, I, I, it's, my, it's like one of my favorite worship songs that we do. And I get it once a year. But, uh, but we're going to do it today because I think the resurrection of Jesus shows us the power of God to bring us safely from death to life. And the reality that Paul points out in that passage I just referenced is that we as Christians, we don't, we don't have no fear. We don't lessen our fear by, by believing that this life is just going to be a little better because we became Christians. Our fear goes down because we believe that Jesus got out of the grave and in getting out of the grave, he conquered death for all who will place their faith in him. And therefore, we look forward to an eternity that will be in perfection. And this song, I think I can just cling to right now more than ever because life is difficult. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love and heal and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives. But greater still the calm assurance this child can face uncertain days because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Let me pray that you will remember that Jesus lives and because he lives, we will live with no more pain, sorrow, or suffering. Lord Jesus, there's so many things to fear right now, Lord. But I pray that we who are Christians will no longer fear them. That we won't give in to fear, but we will live a life of faith. And we will live a life of faith, God, not because there's nothing scary, not because we won't suffer or struggle on this earth, but because we know that eventually you will fix all of these things for us and we will live with you. I pray, God, for those who have not who have not placed their faith in you, God. And I pray right now in their hearts and in their souls, you would remind them, Lord, that this world needs to be feared apart from faith. And you would compel them to become Christians, God, not because they want a little better life now, but because they want to look forward to an eternity in glory with you, the one who conquered death on our behalf. God, let us live lives of faith because we know that one day there will be no more sorrow or pain or tears or suffering or, you know, any of the stuff that we're dealing with right now. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.